Okay, good evening, everybody, and thank you all for making time to join this session. My name is Foster Wintetiakugri, uh, and I will be your host for today's conversation. Um, I'd like to welcome every one of you for making time out of your schedules to join this uh, conversation, and I, I hope it will come out very fruitful and worthy of, of the time you are making available to, to sit in. Um, so this conversation is the very first edition or first episode of a webinar series called The Building Blocks, uh, which is part of the Growth with TT initiative. Um, so after four years, four active years of being asked for help, coaching people, connecting people and opportunities, I felt a need to create a platform where I could do both, right? Connect people, connect opportunities, and also uh, share my knowledge as well as invite other people who are well-resourced enough and have answers to some burning questions that you may not have the right people to help you answer, answer them. So I had been seeking for a new passion project for the last two years, and as part of uh, my personal interests, I designed Growth with TT, right? So we currently live in a very privileged, I believe that we currently live in a very privileged um, age where information and access has been made very, very easy for everyone uh, due to technology. And the benefits of example has given us the opportunity to be able to read other people's stories, share rooms with VVIPs on platforms like Clubhouse, on webinars like these, and as the world continues to become smaller and smaller by, uh, by technology bringing us together in a global village, we can see, we can easily find other people who identify with us, believe in the same things we do, and make us feel like we are not alone in our journeys or the careers, uh, the career paths we are on or certain traits that we exhibit and we see ourselves as outliers. So for me, this is like the best gift in life, right? It's, as being in, a, in an age where you can just Google something and then you easily find answers to, and you put yourself in the shoes of people who were born in the 70s and 60s or maybe the 19th, 20th centuries. You ask yourself, how were they living before when the internet was not there? And how were they solving problems or getting answers to their questions? And for those who managed to succeed to become the billionaires or the great people who have left legacies, uh, for today, how did they do it, right? So we stand a better chance of succeeding. And I believe that there's really a shortcut to reaching our goals uh, faster. And that's by learning from the accounts and experience of other people. So we don't repeat the same mistake. So the growth of TT platform basically is intended to help meet certain objectives, right? We, we, the goal is for me to help inspire and facilitate innovation uh, by helping us learn by example through the people who uh, would be coming on the sessions and other initiatives that uh, we've been running, uh, we've launched and are yet to launch, uh, to also actively contribute to growing a generation of competent and passionate young leaders today uh, ahead for the future so that circumstances or situations like what happened uh, in Nigeria would not. I believe we today, our decisions today contribute to who becomes our leaders of tomorrow. 
And we have to find a way as a young generation to start to think in a certain light in, in order for us to engineer what our future would look like so that we put competent people, responsible people, able people, uh, sound-minded people to be able to make these decisions on our behalf. And as our democracy advances, I'm sure that with forums like this, we'll be able to stir conversations and breed a new generation of leaders, right? The platform is also to establish a forum for knowledge and opportunity sharing. And if you follow our social media pages, Go3TT at Go3TT on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as well, you would see a lot of content we'll be sharing and uh, probably have started sharing, which breaks down very complex things into smaller chunks so that you can understand and appreciate them, right? So on this note, uh, I, we, we, we've designed a number of initiatives. So we have the Go3TT Angels Pitch Den, which we launched a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the platform would serve as an opportunity. It's like a Shark Tank-like Shark Tank -like event where for people who do not know what Shark Tank is, it's a platform where uh, certain businesses are vetted and put before investors to pitch, uh, worthy people to pitch their ideas to them. And if they are worthy of investment to receive the financing and support they need to scale their businesses. We also have the Business 101 series of which we have run two episodes so far. And the focus of this is to break down the terminologies in business or help people start to speak the lingua of business so that when you hear words like key performance indicator or what is a business model or what is a customer segmentation, what is your revenue model, it doesn't sound strange to you. So we are breaking all these into smaller stories and trying to bring sell, uh, send them across to you. And you can continuously follow the series on our social media pages. Building blocks is also one of the platforms that uh, we have created to stimulate conversations surrounding the fundamentals of leadership, business, relationship, politics, entertainment. And so conversations that will be happening during this webinar series will focus on uh, these areas I have identified. And, and the purpose, I, I believe that no information is too little or irrelevant. And we need to find a way to help move people from an ignorant state um, or a confused state of having false information about certain things and advancing positive information, advancing the right information and help, helping people get answers to questions that we usually tend to see as, ah, this, why should you even be thinking about this? No question is really silly or irrelevant. And the moment you don't have an answer to it, it continues to bother you so much that it sometimes affects you in the long haul, right? So getting answers to these things are very important. So I'd encourage that as we have forums from time to time, when you have questions, please do not hesitate to ask because um, this platform would adhere to the highest standards of tolerance and respect for each other and make sure that everyone's voice is heard as much as they can. So, um, I'll quickly introduce our guests for today and also give you a context of what today's conversation is going to be about. And then um, we'll move on to have uh, a conversation. After that, the floor will be open for you to ask your questions. While, while the conversation is ongoing, if you have any questions or recommendations or suggestions, you can either put your hand up or leave a comment in the chat box and I will read it out loud 
if it is a question addressed to the guest speakers for them to answer. And if anyone in the audience feel they have an extra thought or point of view on the subject, you can raise your hand or draw my attention in the chat box and I would respond to, to you. I hope um, this rule of engagement will be adhered to by everyone. And I am excited about this conversation already. Uh, thank you very much, Oludele and Emmanuel, for making time to join today's call and for being uh, the first guests on this show to make history for the first time. So Emmanuel is Emmanuel Ijam is is a is an investment associate at Injaro Investment Limited. Emmanuel is a very passionate person about uh, entrepreneurship and finance. This passion drove him to pursue uh, become in, in in the university, and then he later went on to. Uh, charter in, uh, to become a chartered financial analyst. So he's, he's currently in his level three of his CFP certification program. Uh, Emmanuel started his career with Unilever where he worked with a supply chain finance team. He later moved on to work with uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, where he worked with the global market sales and trading team. He's currently at Injaro uh, Investments Limited. A, Injaro is a private capital fund manager where he makes use of his entrepreneurial skills, his business acumen, and his analytical prowess to drive business sustainability and growth, as well as help businesses are, that are investment ready to secure finances, right? Uh, drawing from his rich experience and interacting with several people, I believe that he would be a key contributor to the conversation we'll be having today. Hence, why he's here to join us. Um, also, as Oludele Sonikan, Oludele is uh, the is the director of investment and business acceleration at Growth Music, uh, where he supports fundraising and investment strategies as well as deal structuring. At Growth Music, Oludele has cultivated experience uh, expertise in in developing end to end supply chain strategy as well as marketing strategies and also helping with financial models and uh, business growth plans for so many ventures right Oludele has helped dozens of growth music clients to develop all these strategies and position them for growth and expansion uh, Oludele holds a bsc in management information systems from the ashesi university and he'll be also be joining this conversation to see how best from his point of view and his uh, uh, worth of experience share on the subject we'll be talking about today. So um, we all can attest that the outbreak of the novel uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 has disrupted every aspect of human life. The way we live in terms of our economy, physically, our mental well-being has all been impacted by COVID, right? And the risk of the global economy has been severe. If we look back at during the, uh, the, uh, the lockdown, it affected us so much that national economies have been forced with the disruption of economic activities. And Ghana is no exception to this, right? The most impacted economies were, the, uh, the most impacted sectors were manufacturing, uh, tourism, hospitality, and transportation. And these guys suffered the most especially during the shutdown or the lockdown. 
and this resulted in some factories being sh shut down and they still haven't recovered to date uh, some people being laid off because uh, they the new working environments couldn't accommodate didn't see them relevant because a lot of companies started working remotely and if you are a, 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 your responsibility requires you to be physically present and then you become redundant when there's remote work then then you are no more relevant to that organization, right? And some people's time at working was shortened. So if you are paid by the hour, you are likely not to be getting your full salary as you were before. That means your cost of uh, uh, your covering your expenses becomes a challenge, right? And this also affected legacy businesses uh, in terms of their business models, uh, being disrupted and how to die, right? In today's conversation, we hope to break down the various components of businesses, right? And explore how COVID-19 or the pandemic has affected key parts of, the, of their business in terms of customer segmentation, the customer channels, customer relationship. We'll also be talking about value proposition and how businesses have had to rethink or should rethink their value propositions. We'll also talk about investor appetite, funding sources, and how businesses need to rethink how they package their businesses to raise financing. And lastly, we'll talk about how to manage risk and ensure business continuity so that should this happen again, we'll be able to manage it in the future. So without much ado, I'd like to open the floor to receive uh, Oludele and Emmanuel to give their opening, and then we can proceed from there. So, um, Olu, Dele, you can go ahead. I think, thank you, Foster. Um, good evening again to everyone. Um, Foster, just a quick correction. I'm Director of Investments at Group Music, and I support on business acceleration. Oh, okay. So, um, thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you again, Foster. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I think, I believe that um, we've all seen um, how businesses have been affected by the pandemic um, globally, just not here in Ghana. And um, according to a report by World Bank, UNDP and Ghana Statistical Service, COVID forced businesses in Ghana to reduce wages for over 770,000 workers and caused about 42,000 layoffs. So imagine the households that have been affected um, by the pandemic. Um, you know, no one saw it come in. Um, However, we have the opportunity to put structures in place and, you know, to learn um, from this activity, from this pandemic, to minimize the impact in the future. You never know how it's going to go in the future. There have been pandemics in the past. However, this one has come again and it's affected businesses from large ones to small ones. Um, so I think it's a conversation that we need to have and not just have these conversations, but also have action points to and um, support each other. And I'm happy to be here today. Um, thank you again. Thank you very much, Oludele, for that uh, brief remarks. Emmanuel? Thank you very much, Foster, for this uh, opportunity. And good evening, everyone. Um, I think it's very clear how important um, conversation about COVID-19 has been, you know, in um, for some time now around, you know, its impact on the lives of people, 
um, the way things the way things are done and the livelihoods of people in terms of how how they earn income and uh, this is connected directly with the survival of you know, a lot of these businesses that um, help you know support the livelihoods of these people so it's it's important that you know as we as you know the the medicinal part the vaccine part and all these parts of um, of covid is being discussed the livelihood part also remains you know very important as um Akufado's very popular you know message was around the ability to you know recover you know economies you know but not to you know bring lives back people dead people back to life so that that shows that he had, I mean, there are two, two sides of the impact and what we are here to discuss is how to um, ensure that the economic part of things, uh, even if we don't get winners out of this, we get uh, more of survivors out of this. Because for me, I, I say, if you, if you survive this pandemic, you've, you've won already, you don't need to um, make so much more than, than, than survive before you see yourself as a winner in this uh, pandemic. So how businesses will be able to navigate, navigate these times to be able to come out strong as uh, survivors and more resilient. And I think it's, um, it's definitely going to help um, not just the businesses themselves, but also the lives that are connected to these businesses. So it's a very important discussion. Uh, we look forward to um, bringing out a bit more to help people walk out of here with, with more ideas on how to manage some of the challenges they are being faced in this time. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that remarks. Um, so we'll quickly zoom into the conversation, right? And to comment, I want us to go back to how businesses form, right? We usually identify a need or a problem across a certain group of people. And as they drill down to solving that problem and developing a solution, they realize that amongst that group of people they've identified that problem, they are subsets, right? And this is what we develop to eventually become what we call customer segments. Do you think businesses have been forced to look at who their customer is or are, where they fall in terms of their priority bucket and how they are reaching out to them? Dele, you can take this, uh, you can start and then- Okay, sure. Okay. Um, thanks for the question. You can't, you can't serve all customers. Um, you know, only a percentage of the entire pool of population will actually buy a product or use your services. The, the objective is not to serve everyone, but you also need to understand who your customer is and what they need. So you need to know also which markets are not profitable. So you need to understand and ask yourself, who can we serve well and which market is not profitable? Um, sometimes what will happen is you may come up with a niche market, which is a very small market that you're serving and it's profitable. However, if you want to move to another segment of the market, it's not profitable for your business. So, you know, the, the, the key questions you need to ask yourself is, you know, which customer segments or which customers can we serve well and which 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 um segments are not profitable hmm. very very interesting hi Emmanuel. yes so 
and with the with the impact of uh, COVID nineteen, I think, I mean, the basics of uh, coming up with which you know customers are you going to serve, you know, out of the wide you know types of customers that you find yourself uh, looking at, um, the the basics of how to identify that has not changed. I mean, it's you looking at the needs and the priorities of your customers. You looking at the current um, options available to them. I mean, when you're starting a business, typically you look at the needs that you would like to serve. I, I usually call them the vitamins versus the paracetamol, which is my own way of uh, separating the two, where the vitamins is you, you helping someone do something better. So it's not like a pain that you're solving, but it's an improvement in their lives. And then the paracetamol is where there's a pain point. There is um, a, a, prob a problem that they are suffering that you're trying to uh, heal or solve for them, like you take you know, paracetamol for, for your headache. So when you're able to, I mean, decide where, where this falls, you decide the, the customers that require it, I mean, in terms of the, the needs. And then you look at what is on the market for them right now, which is the strengths of other com uh, companies that are serving these markets. And then now you look at what you are going to bring in to be able to, you know, find that particular, like uh, Dele said, the niche that you would want to, you know, serve. Now, where I think in this pyramid um, that there is a bit of change is the needs, the needs and the priorities of your, your customers. Um, initially, uh, most of you, these customers will definitely not have um, needs around will not be very strong, have strong needs around, you know, social distancing and, you know, um, reducing fiscal contact among, among other things. But now you have them and you have them in varying degrees, right? Um, there are some, some clients who are very, 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 very careful, um, for lack of a better word, around um, COVID and some that are, again, for lack of a better word, less careful. Um, there are some who would not even, would not even find themselves out there, even in their own, even in their cars, they wear masks in their cars, right? Um, and then you have some that would go out, but then would, would max up and then, you know, have their sanitizers all around with them. So you need to know the clients that you were serving in the past. Um, does it look likely that, I mean, with the, with the add-on of the impact of COVID-19, how have they changed? Um, do you now need to relook at the, 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 the larger market and see if you can bring in some clients because maybe some particular you know, categories that you were serving might not exist anymore or you might not be able to serve them anymore. So do you then bring in a, a bit of the markets that you initially ditched because you didn't think you were a better place to serve them based on how their needs have changed with the add-on of the COVID-19? And um, with that, then you can now reformulate your value proposition at this point and say, okay, um, I've shifted a little bit. Um, these are the kinds of people that I'm now serving. And uh, this is how I'm going to serve them. For example, um, people go to restaurants, right? There are some restaurants that were, were set up most importantly for the, the atmosphere that they bring. So it's not, it wasn't just about the food there. Um, it was more about the atmosphere. It was more about uh, people going there and feeling, you know, enjoying the place, not, not just the food. So if you set up a restaurant for people to enjoy the place, now the question you ask yourself is the kind of people that you are attracting to come and enjoy the place. Do they want to go out now? Do they want to be in public spaces right now? 
Now, if these kind of people don't want to be in public spaces, then there's, then, then now you have to start thinking about your value proposition again. Um, so how will you shift from bringing people to enjoy the place because now they are not coming to, you know, still doing your, your, your business, which is selling food to them because you get them to enjoy the place, then you get them food, right? Um, or would you now look at the, the reduce your prices or go down to the, the, the spaces where people are still open to going out or the, the income levels that people are still open going out, but then they are, they are maxed up and uh, they will come and enjoy the place now. So these are some of the questions that you have to start asking yourself again about your value proposition and see how it can withstand the whole change in the consumer needs and preferences um, due to COVID-19. Thank you. Hi, Foster. Yes, hello. Yes, I'm here. Apologies, my mic was muted. So I was just saying that it's very, very important, and I love the fact that you've mentioned value proposition, right? The moment you identify a customer segment or a subset of the larger group of people you want to serve, um, and you identify the traits amongst them, the one thing that you said that really hit, hit me was the fact that you need to assess and understand who your customer was before COVID and who they are now and how they have evolved in terms of their behavioral patterns, right? And that informs how you need to redefine what your value proposition is. So for businesses who need to win the environment, you realize that many companies have a lot of competitors and they'll probably have to retool their customer propositions as as these repercussions of the pandemic are hitting their markets and, and, and they realize that they, they, their customers are starting to have different needs and priorities. From where you sit, what do you think businesses need to do to be able to create a much stronger value proposition? Manu, do you want to go? Oh, okay, let me let me just uh, start with this one, and then Billy, you can uh, take on on that. So, the strength, the for me, the strength of a value proposition is how best it serves your customers, right? Um, there were there were long were the days where businesses, you know, would focus on just producing the best product in terms of their definition of what's the best product and then expect the market to just rush and get it. Now customers are open to a very large, a very endless options when it comes to um, products and services to satisfy their needs and their wants. So you really need to understand very well your customer and you, you build your value proposition around your customer. So for me, a stronger or the, the strength of a value proposition is about how well it's, or it's, it's more measured by how well it says the customers, mm. how well it's focused on the customers. Um, and, and, and that is why I, I gave my initial example where you, you need to think about your customers. You had customers who loved that whole experience, but now customers cannot, your customers, maybe they are high profile people, um, 
and uh, definitely they, they don't want to be found outside, you know, sitting in some of these places because, yes, COVID-19 is, is out there and they are actually uh, encouraging people to stay at home. So such a customer now has different needs. Now, what you were trying to, or what you were, you were helping them, you know, do is sometimes to stay away from familiar environments like work and, and home to sit at a serene environment where they, would, they wouldn't typically be like all the time, you know, sometimes to distress uh, among other things, right? So now the question you have to be asking yourself is, if you were in the market of helping your clients or your customers distress, and as part of that, you're serving them some very good food and some good music among other things, then you are now asking yourself, okay, how do I now get this kind of customer to distress? Um, one, first, I mean, the first line of thought for me was using the current set of uh, um, operational resources that you have, and two, maybe some twists that you can make to some of these things to help them to achieve the same goal. Or maybe some things, maybe, maybe you cannot get them to get to the same level because, uh, yes, there's a pandemic, so it might be tough to get them to the same level like you originally um, were doing, but how much can you serve them around this time a bit more to still make them feel like, yes, they've got that, um, that distress and um, ability to distress. Someone might say, okay, maybe I, I now you know, redesign the whole certain area into more like separated caves where I have all the nice things in there. So, I mean, I use caves for lack of a better word, um, where if, if you're in, in one of these um, kind of cubicles or something like that, you don't interact with everybody. So it's more like um, a home in a, in a more serene environment for you, a separated place for you. So you still get your distress and you still get that nice views that you want to have and everything. But then now it's more like you are in a confined space. Everybody is now in a confined space. So that is one of the things that someone might think, okay, with my customers, I might be able to do this and it will serve them well. But in all this thinking process, it's very important that you engage with your customers. You get to understand very well how their needs have changed. Do they even think of distressing now? Are they maybe choosing to sleep at home to distress? So when you understand your customer very well, then you can read to it. So the strength, back to my underlining statement, the strength of your value proposition, if you want to have a stronger one, is to now understand your client's needs now and align your, your revised value, value proposition to those needs. Over, Deli. Yeah, um, so two words here for me, adapt and evolve. Mm. Um, you, you know, you can do this by what Emmanuel actually mentioned, uh, understanding what customers' needs are. So you have to adapt and evolve. You can't survive or thrive without adapting and evolving, especially at a time like this with the pandemic. You know, consumer behavior will change or has changed. And there are new pain points. And essentially, what your business has been, you, 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 you start a business to solve problems, right? So you have new pain points. So the question is, how do we solve these new pain points, right? How do we come up with 
um, value, new value propositions that can solve our customers' pain points. Um, you might not mention about how, you know, there's not social distancing, you can't go out much, etc. You know, so we have some restaurants that are just take out only. Now, some of them don't have delivery um, businesses. Some do have delivery businesses. We've seen an upsurge or a huge demand for delivery bikes now. Uh, every time I'm online, I see a business saying, call us, we need, we need delivery bikes, call us, we need delivery bikes, you know? So times have changed. And is you evolve and adapt or you stick to your old ways and then, uh, so I think for me, it's, it's, it's very important to understand what these new pain points are for your customers. And once you're able to solve these new pain points and using that approach, you can also come up with what these new value propositions are. Hmm. Very, very powerful. I picked that one. Evolve and adapt. You cannot survive as a business in this pandemic without adopting and evolving. Otherwise, you will die. So this is a quick quote I just tweeted on uh, growth with Titi. You can follow us on Twitter at growth with Titi. I am sharing some key gems that are dropping from this conversation over there. Um, yeah. So once you have identified your customer segment, you've identified their new needs, you've started to rework out their value proposition. Something is needed to fuel the business money, right? Um, so a lot of businesses have had to uh, increase the amount of money they needed or had to do like all of a sudden a capital injection into their business, either to acquire new technology, either to retrain or retool their employees, either to redefine the channels through which they engage their customers. They've had to reallocate budgets to increase their online engagement and migrate from tra certain traditional means. Uh, restaurants have had to break down their entire structure and reform uh, to meet the new requirements. They've had to reduce maybe the capacity. So if there were 700 customers initially based on their initial setting arrangements, they now have to uh, introduce social distancing into their, into their layout within their premise. And so they can serve lesser customers than they would before. What happens to the overflow? Do they create another space? Do they have to find money? All these things are challenges that businesses tend to face when they are evolving their uh, 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 evolving to solve the needs of their customers and it requires money, right? Uh, so according to, 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 to the a report that was published by the Global Investment Network, investors have not really scared away from investing because of the pandemic. And about 47% of the fund managers expected their portfolio to underperform. A majority of them still went ahead uh, to to stand their grounds and say, okay, this is our strategy for the year. This is the funds we've allocated for the year. We are still going to go ahead and make our investments. Uh, there was a report published by Brighter Bridges uh, two weeks ago called the Africa Investment Report. And it said, stated that $2.4 billion uh, was the total amount of money that was invested in the, uh, in the, onto, uh, the startup and the tech space in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa this uh, last year. And even with COVID, $2.4 billion was invested. And these are, these are just declared 
funds right that were invested within the continent minus the ones that fell off their radar when they were tracking so from from your point of view what trends have you seen in investor activity for example emmanuel every single day you have businesses approaching in jaro trying to seek financing um what what trends have you seen in investor activity since the pandemic and for example your firm and do you foresee a change in in how they are validating they are doing their business valuation and saying okay before you were worth this amount but now this is how much i think you'll be worth companies like zoom had a significant spike in their business valuation and they are worth billions of dollars now, right? Just because of how the pandemic hit. A lot of companies that develop productivity tools, uh, online collaborative tools, et cetera, et cetera, gained much traction than before. Which, what, how, how are these uh, investors thinking now? And just as a way of advising the entrepreneurs who may be on this call, um, how do you think they need to reposition themselves, repackage their entire business uh, to take advantage of these new trends you are seeing? Okay, um, first off, let me take this one, then um, Dele comes in. So I think in, in all this, the first thing again is uh, you need to understand the investor that you're approaching. So see yourself as, uh, see the business that you're going to sell to this investor as a, as a product, right? Because it is a product. For the investor, it is a product where they're going to put in money and then expect some returns um, over some period of time. Mm. So first ask yourself, who is your investor? You know, they have investors who are long-term investors and there are those who are short-term investors. Um, in private equity, definitely we are long-term investors. So we are looking beyond um, the next two years, the next three years, the next four years, you know, stuff like that. Though it's a, it's a very long term that it's sometimes very difficult. I mean, most times, I would say, very difficult to predict. There are some things that, you know, uh, do not change. There are some things that remain the same or they just change a little bit. So for, for us, your ability, if you have a business for now and um, you are able to survive through this phase and remain resilient and more sustainable and grow in the future, you have a good business in hand, right? <clears throat> you don't need to necessarily win within this space, but if you have, you can survive within this space and then grow in the future, you have a good business in hand. Because with the COVID impact, you know, there's the first order impact, there's a second order impact, several impacts, and then there's a the long-term implications. Um, for instance, there, there are some things that clients or your customers have never tried before. Though they were ideas that they were in their heads, um, they've never had to try it before. So they, um, they kept on using your product or kept, kept on doing things the way they know how to do it best. Now they've been forced to try some new things. Are they going to switch um, to the same new things when I mean, people say when the pandemic, some people say pandemic is never over, right? But when the, the pandemic is over in terms of the vaccines and people are feeling, you know, people, the rate of contact, uh, what do you call it, infections have reduced and all the things around that. If we get to that point, are your clients going to say, yo, let's go back to what we used to be? Or are they going to say, okay, you know what? 
um, we thought this new thing that we were forced to try worked for us. So let's stick to this. So an example is investors in Zoom, right? Um, when they were investing in Zoom, the question they were asking themselves is, um, are, are people going to go back to the way they used to do things? And then maybe the, the, the volumes or the spikes you are seeing with Zoom, is it going to reduce um, in the future? That is, a, that is a big question every investor has to ask themselves. Now, there are some of the investors who go into Zoom and they are just in there for the short term. So they, they're just going to enjoy the spikes and then they get out and then they, they make money. But then for the longer term investors in Zoom, those that are investing in Zoom for the next seven years, eight years, they're asking themselves, is this trend going to continue growing or is it going to go down and people are going to go back to how they used to do things? That's a very important question every investor is asking themselves. And I tell a lot of sponsors that anticipating the questions the investor is asking themselves now and answering those questions even before they ask them shows that you're a master of your game. And every investor loves the sound of an entrepreneur or a sponsor who is thinking about the risk, right? We, we meet a lot of, I mean, meeting sponsors who are always talking about the returns, the rewards, the growth, and there are a lot of them. Every, every now and then, we've never met an investor who is able to, who is talking so much about the risk. But every investor, I say, sorry, not investor, I mean sponsor. Every sponsor who is the owner of a company, sponsors are the owners of the companies. Every CEO, founder, owner of the company, which we call sponsor, comes with so much, so much optimism about everything they're doing. That you always then leave the investor to start thinking about what can go wrong, what is the risk. And if they have to identify the risks for themselves, they might overrate the risk or underrate the risk. Now, though underrating the risk will go in your favor, you don't know if they would underrate or overrate. And I can tell you, they are likely to overrate the risk than to underrate the risk. So it's better that you're able to come to the investor very well informed about the risks you're facing that. This is COVID-19. This is the impact COVID-19 has had on us. Going forward in the future, these are the three things that we are thinking are, are probable to happen to our customers. They might either be this, that, or that. Um, in these three things, these are the probabilities that we are assigning based on some additional research we've done. So if they move into this probabilities, this is how we are going to meet them at that level, just so that our business will continue growing. If they act this way, that's how we are going to meet them. And if they act that way, that's how we are going to meet them. We've put together all these plans. We, I mean, and, and it's well thought out, right? In terms of how to implement it, the cash that you require to do it, how long it's going to take you to get back to be able to serve in those clients who have now changed permanently um, in the longer term. So when you understand your investor, he's a long-term investor. He, he cares about what's going to happen in the next five to seven years of your business. Then you should be able to tell the, the, the investor that these are the risks. This is how we think it's going to pan out. Now, it doesn't have to be one, one way because if you pick just one path, it means you, you're basically saying you can predict the future, which is usually difficult. So, and if you pick one path and the investor also feels like you just selected what works for you, um, again, you're just being the typical optimist um, that sponsors are. But then you tell me, hey, it can go this way, that way, that way. And these are how we are planning to meet them if they go this way, that way, or that way. That gives, convinces the investor that you are very well aware of your customers. You know how their needs might change in the future. And you've well planned ahead of it. That is a resilient company. That is a sustainable business that an investor will be willing to go into with you. 
So that is, that is just one of the main things I think um, sponsors should start adopting now, understanding the impact of the COVID and how it's going to change their customers and planning very well how to meet these changes, no matter how, I mean, depending on how they go based on the probabilities that they are seeing um, in the future for their customers. Uh, I'll end here for daily to take that. The, the money man has said it all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, investors, investors, they are not all the same, right? Uh, um, they're looking at different things, um, different metrics. Um, at the same time, they're looking at return. But, you know, due to experience um, and also geography, where they've invested in the past, they'll, they'll all look at different things, obviously. What, what, what I have seen is, you know, some investors are still dispersing and other investors are actually focusing on their portfolio. So these are businesses they've already invested in. And what they are doing is either um, injecting more full-on capital to take advantage of new opportunities that have been identified by the business. Um, or, you know, they are offering some sort of support to ensure that they stay afloat. So that's what's happening. So we've also seen businesses just pivot and they're producing hand sanitizers. You know, they create additional production lines in, in the business of hand sanitizers. Um, um, Unilever is one multinational that has done that. Um, they just, you know, just pivoted, um, changed their supply chain. You know, they produce Dove, Clear, Lux, and now they just started producing Angels. You know, there are other businesses that will also be created um, during this pandemic because of obvious opportunities. And they would have to think about sustainability. So what happens when the pandemic is over? Is everybody going to go back to, oh, are we going to go back to our old ways? or that opportunity still is still uh, profitable. So that, that's, that's something, you know, investors are looking at. And there are also the short-term gains. Um, you know, I'm sure after two, three years, sanitizer demand is just going to drop. Handgels are going to drop. Um, I don't know, maybe not. But you know, that's the thing about investing, there's uncertainty. You can't tell um, too as well. So, so that's what's happening. Also, there's also support from government too, or related agencies to help businesses that have had to lay off or furlough. Um, you know, so there are those, there, there are these things, um, these sources that are also available. So with, with, when it comes to investing in the funding, you know, everyone's different. You know, some businesses are cashing out um, right now. And some are just thriving. You know, some have had to, um, change their business model or, you know, add another production line and they're kicking out. Um, we have, um, I think that Bunko, that's also into Angels now. We have businesses that are employing people, producing PPE here locally. You know, so it's, it's not, it's not um, that there have been opportunities, you know, and also um, businesses are folded. So, yeah. And um, uh, first of all, before you come in, let me just say something that I think I forgot you. So the two things. The first one is um, revision of your fundraising documents. I mean, 
I don't know if it's because most of these documents, you know, are prepared for these um, sponsors by um, external service providers. So when they get this document, whether it was prepared in 2020, um, um, before COVID, after COVID, they are still throwing out the same documents to investors to look for funding. That, that shows that it seems like you're not informed or you don't know what's going on, right? Um, if I'm seeing a, a new, you know, fundraising document where there's a, there's a clear um, path around like what I said before, you know, the COVID impact and how you're thinking about this, how it's going to evolve, how your business is going to be affected. I know, I know the sponsor has taught you this very, very well. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take much. You can, you can even not have to go into the main document to revise it. You can just have an addendum to the document and say, yeah, and this is a COVID, COVID side of the, of the, the COVID impact on the business and have some very clear staff there that guides the investor to know that, yeah, you've touched through the COVID impact, both short-term and long-term impact, and you can inform them on how it's going to affect your business. And, uh, and also with your forecast, because um, if, you, if, you, if you meet investors and you have some forecast in your, you know, in your fundraising documents and these forecasts, you deviate strongly from these forecasts. Um, it's very important that you should be able to um, revise the forecast you know, ahead of it or let, let's, let's, let's know what the impact is going to be. So for instance, you plan, you, you plan that 2020, we're going to get $5 million in revenues, $5 million in revenues. And then 2020 ends, you've got $2 million in revenues. And your document still shows that, yeah, you forecasted $5 million in revenues for 2020, $7 million in 2021. The question the investor will be asking, okay, how has this changed? Because even the $5 million you forecasted, you did $2 million. You should be able to have explained how it went down to $2 million, And then let us know if this is actually going to change what 2021 is going to be. Because 2021 might not continue to be the $7 million that you projected. It might now come down or it might go up. Like uh, Daily mentioned, some are doing better than they used to and some are doing worse. And if it's going up in the short term, let it be clear that it's a short term. For instance, if you've just spiked into um, you know, producing uh, hand sanitizers and you know you know that the average Ghanaian is not buying hand sanitizer on just a normal day. It's a COVID thing. Um, you know that the, the sales for hand sanitizer might trickle down a bit um, after, you know, vaccines are out and all these things are out. Let it show in your projections. Um, and let the people see that you really thought it out, you documented it, and hey, guys, here is it. Makes it easier for the investor to, you know, go through this and understand your return invest. And the, the, the second thing for me is always check within for how much you can pull out from within. You see, um, businesses, when they need money, they usually rush out. They usually move out to, um, I need money to do this. I need money to do that. And, and, and they mostly don't ask themselves the question that what can I squeeze from inside my business to help us to continue moving? There are some roles that you would not need the people again. I mean, <clears throat> um, yeah, there's, there's a redundancy cost that you have to also consider, but you can do all these considerations and see how much money you can squeeze on an ongoing basis, right? And, and, and see how that can push you in front a bit as you're looking for additional money um, from external sources. That is, that is very important. Um, you don't miss because if, if you come to an investor, you're looking for money and the investor is looking in your documents and they feel that you could have squeezed some money from within the company and you're not doing that. All the things that are not necessary are still there, you know, taking your money. Then he's going to ask questions about how, 
how resourceful, how you manage your resources. So these are some of the things that are very important to think about, you know, whilst fundraising around this time. And don't ever, I mean, don't think that everybody's out um, or everybody has stopped investing. We, we invested in 2020. We are still investing this year, um, actively investing this year, actively investing last year, because there are funds available. There are returns that our LPs are expecting us to deliver on. And we cannot just stop investing and sit, and sit right? So you just have to make a more compelling case about how COVID is, is not, might not really matter based on how you've planned how you're going to you know, run your business. And then definitely you can, make, you can make some of the money or you can take some of the money on and, and, and grow your business. Over at TT. Yeah, can I just add something to yes, something? Right. something right. Drop the gems, drop the gems. You know, um, the, the, you'd have to, so, so Emmanuel mentioned something and, and restructuring, restructuring is, is an activity that business may have to undertake. Um, you know, you have to reflect thing is, you know, some entrepreneurs have been, uh, been afraid of the process, you know, to adjust and make changes because you'd have to cut costs, you know, either laying off people, you'd have to look at certain processes and see if you have to reach channel resources um, into other activities and close down certain activities too as well. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very, very important to do that. Um, activity and ask yourself, you know, what do we need to stop? It's, you know, this pandemic has been a blessing, you know, because we realized so many things need space, right? And um, everyone is working out from home. People have been told they have internet, you know, they have um, laptops, external, they're working from home and, you know, business seems to be going on, Fine, basically. So, you know, there's that um, reflection that has to happen. And you need to think about it. And going forward, and Manu, correct me if I'm wrong, investors want to see what um, your pandemic plan is, just in case something happens. What, 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 are, you, what are you going to do? I don't, I don't think um, pre-COVID, there were business plans with there. And pandemic um, response you know, so so it's 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 an activity that you also have to do, you know, restructuring and reflecting. And it's very painful. First, I think you're mute. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes. yes, very, very interesting. Dilly has dropped some gems. He says you need to rethink, reflect, and reset. And he also says investors are now seeking your pandemic strat uh, response plan or mitigation plan. This brings us to the last part of this conversation, which is risk management and business continuity. And to, 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 to dig into this, I want to piggyback on... on an old metaphor called the, the, the an old metaphor called the boiling frog, right? And and if it's it suggests that a frog may <clears throat> may fail to jump out of a pan of water as it slowly heats up because it doesn't feel it, right? And this is evident of how our human instinct works. 
when things are building up slowly, um, we rather tend to take it lightly and so we don't respond or react as fast as possible. And we have seen how businesses have had to force themselves to adopt remote working, uh, adopt agile methodologies, come to appreciate that the fourth industrial revolution is really here and technology is the new wave. What are your recommendations for SMEs and startups who may not have that uh, uh, resource, have all the necessary resources and accoutrements to develop these risk mitigation strategies or risk management procedures? And Emmanuel, from your point of view, what, what are the key things? What's, what's the trend you see in maybe what businesses need to factor in terms of business continuity? A, a lot of times, even from my role as incubator manager, um, so many startups or SMEs or entrepreneurs do not consider what we usually call succession plan. For example, you got hit by COVID today, you die tomorrow. You didn't leave anything. So succession plans are basically like a will for your business, right? Where somebody has to take over certain responsibilities. What, what do you think? What are your recommendations? How do you think businesses need to approach this? From, from strategy point of view, Dele, what, what are some of the things that if you were to advise a business in a strategy session, they need to consider in putting their business in shape to be pandemic proof? Emmanuel, since since you you disperse and you write the checks, maybe you should go first. Really? Okay. So um, <laughs> let me take it. I mean, there isn't so much for me on this point um, because the problems are very similar, and I think TT you already mentioned. I think we all see that, so it's not shocking that you've mentioned the main one of the main problems that we find with entrepreneurs: succession plans. Um, I mean, it's it's very normal for people, I mean, to leave and um, think they're going to leave on to the foresee into the foreseeable future, right? Because who wants to be walking around thinking about when they are dying or how they are dying, right? Um, however, this sometimes this kind of a bias, you know, or error in thinking sometimes affects how we plan for such, you know, unforeseen events in the future. I remember one of our recent sessions internally, um, I, I brought up the need for us to you know, make, make, make it compulsory to um, take on key, key insurance, key money insurance for the loans, some of the debt finances that we provide to agribusinesses. And this is because most of these agribusinesses, and this is very typical of most small you know, to medium businesses in Ghana or in Africa is that the business is centered around one person, right? You have, you have like one person being like the mind, the heart of the business. And if that person is even sick, it affects the business and how things are happening in, the, in, the, in that business. Um, we've, we've seen this you know, several times when we, when we go on to DD, you know, with some of these companies, you realize that you can ask some of them that you expect, maybe you meet the finance person, you're asking some questions that you think the finance person should answer to and they would say, um, can you wait the CEO will be coming or the CEO usually in this case is the founder or the owner of the business. Can you wait for him to come so he can answer you on those questions? That's quite troubling um, because it just means that 
if there's any decision to be made or if any there's any quick adjustment or adaption that needs to happen like uh Dele has said then then and that ceo is not around then the business is actually going down right so there's the need um for businesses one to you know, to build up some succession plans like what happens when you're down what happens when you and and it's not just when you die right there are times that you can't be active in the business like so don't just, don't, don't just think it's because it's death and you know you're not dying now, so you're not doing anything. But there can be times where you don't be active, as active as you are in the business. What is the succession plan for times like that? Um, you know, I remember when I, when I spoke to my mom that I, I'm getting an insurance for her, life insurance for her. She's like, oh, you're yeah, thinking I'm going to die. <laughs> so that is how a lot of people um, um, think about it. But then you can go down. You cannot be around... Um, to actively work in the business. So you have to have a plan for that such a time. The second thing is that you have to encourage or build a team and not an, a business based on one person, right? You are, you are recruiting people. You are recruiting you know, people with you know, you know, quality skills, you know, getting them to your company to help you build your business. It is very important that you, you, you build an environment that accommodates ideas from these people, you know, that makes these people, yeah, I mean, you have to know how much room you give to them in terms of they making you know, decisions on the go, but there should be some, some amount of decision making that they can make quickly in, in the event where some things happen or to some extent, just so that the business does not go into a standstill when you are down. Because the, the sad truth is that when you are down is when you even need the business to run very well, just so that it can keep going and you can keep getting the money you need to do the things that you need to do. So if you're building a business that goes down when you're also down, that's doomed for you, right? As an entrepreneur. So how are you, how are you empowering your, your, your management team to be able to make some decisions? Are you always the man who gets into the meeting and all they do is to take notes from you and then they go out and implement? Do you solicit ideas from them? Are you, are you asking them questions that will make them start thinking about the whole environment or the places where they are focused in to know some changes that you guys have to make. And note, you, you, are not, you don't see it all, right? You are the CEO of the business. Sometimes you think you know everything happening in the business, but you'll be surprised how much that these people see in specific areas that you don't see. So sometimes when you solicit ideas from these people, aside from they bringing a different perspective into the room in terms of coming up with their ideas, they're also telling you things that you are not seeing or they are, they are suggesting things that you don't know they were even problems whilst you are running your business. And that is how you'll be able to grow a, a, a business that is more resilient to stand no matter the storms, no matter what, what comes in. Because in as much as for me, in as much as you can build a risk management plan, which is very important, there is some, there is some things that can come that you can never um, project or you can never see it coming. Nobody, nobody, even in the, uh, at the end of the, uh, the, what do you call it, 2019, where we, we went to churches and we were listening to the prophecies. It didn't come up that COVID-19 is coming in, in 2020. So nobody, right, from you know, physical to spiritual, you know, uh, saw COVID-19 coming. But then if you build a business that is able to stand in times like this, that is how it can stand in times like this. And ability to stand in times like this are how well you build a business to be adaptable, to, to change, right? To, to, to how, how do you embrace change in your business? When people are suggesting new ways of doing things in your business, do you always push it down because you want to keep to the old ways? 
if your business is not set up in a way to accommodate change, to change when it has to, then you would have a problem at this time because you've not built an attitude around change in your business. So these are some of the, like, the fundamental things that you need to have in your business from my perspective to be able to stand you know, storms like this when they come, especially those that are unexpected because those, that, those are those that hit us usually very hard. Uh, daily. Yes. Um, so you need, need to plan, right? Manu um, mentioned succession uh, planning. There's actually, you know, there are actually um, firms that offer the service. You know, it's, it's actually a thing. So businesses need to look at it. You know, speak to your lawyers. Um, speak to advisors about it. Now, a business plan, you know, it's not just about revenue generation, marketing, and um, customer segmentation, et cetera. You know, you're looking at the upside and at the same time, the downside too as well. You know, and then looking at your downsides, the downside, you need to ask yourself, um, where are we? Where are we on this? Why are we on this risk? You know, and what do we need to plug in the gaps? And, you know, that, that, that activity is not something you do and shelf and throw away. You need to ask yourself, you need to be intentional about it. I'll give you a story briefly. So there's this a business that, um, there, there was a, it was an agribusiness, I believe. And um, a few months prior, we had recommended an auditor to help them with some work. And he mentioned to me that they didn't have uh, insurance for fire. They didn't insure their factory or the building. And he kept mentioning it to them. Now, guess what? They didn't insure it. And a month later, they lost the factory. It burned down. So, so you know, you're going to look back and, and ask yourself, you know, why didn't I do this? You know, it's, it's, this is a true story. It happened. This is after months and weeks of telling them to insure the factory. It burned down. You know, like, like this guy was a prophet, like you saw it coming. You know, so it's, it's, it's very important to plan and um, be intentional. You know, have a plan, have a checklist in place. You know, do we have insurance for the building, insurance for our laptops? Do we have insurance uh, for the machines? Yeah. We have insurance for this, for that. You know, it, looks, it may, may look painful, or it may look like, you know, you're paying too much now. But then what you're doing is um, you're insuring you know, your property, you're insuring um, your, your, your future too as well. So it's, it's, very, it's very, very important, uh, you know, to plan. It's, it's, it's part of the business plan. You know, don't just look at making money. You're also asking yourself, how do we, we need to identify our risks? And then we need to come up with mitigation um, for these risks. You know, how are we going to mitigate these risks? Um, what do we need to do? What are we lacking? And how are we going to get there? Mm. Yeah, um, and just to add a bit on, on what Daly said, which brought <clears throat> something to mind is about the, I think, again, the reflection part that he spoke about, you know, applies here very well. Businesses sometimes do not, most businesses do not go back and look at the business environment and see when it's changing. <clears throat> and this is not just small businesses. We are talking about even very big businesses. Look at, look at Nokia, look at... Um, some of Kodak, look at these guys who were like the big guys. 
the business environment was changing. The question we ask ourselves always is that, did they see it coming or did they not? You know, the risk in the market was changing. The, the, the behaviors, the preferences, things were changing. How many times or how many businesses, you know, hold, hold sessions and all they are doing is asking themselves the question, what has changed in the environment? What has changed in, in, in the way we should be doing business, right? Because when they build an approach or when they find the strategy and they set up all these things, we, we always say that a business plan is a living document, but it never always remains like that for a lot of businesses. You ask them for their business plan, they'll pull out the one they had you know, 10 years, 20 years ago for you. So how many times are businesses sitting down re-looking at how they plan to do their business and what has changed and how this new information is going to affect how they're going to do their business going forward? That is, that is one, one bias that a lot of businesses, you know, because they've had a particular position, they kind of anchor their, their, their strategy and decisions around those. And when there's new information, they don't incorporate it as well as they should to refine their way of doing things. But it's very important that as a business, the way a lot of people sit down, you know, in the 31st, 9th, uh, or 1st of January to reflect on their lives and ask themselves if they are really doing what they planned to do and stuff like that. Businesses need to also have times like that where they sit down and ask themselves, like, do we really, would we really be doing this? Is this what we'll be doing? Or is this how we'll be doing it if we were starting this business today? And if that isn't the case, what is happening in the space and how can we make it happen right? Or how can we you know, adapt to what the needs are today or what the environment is today? That is a very important thing that I think businesses sessions that I think businesses should be having over TT. Mm, big, big gems dropping, big gems dropping. Risk assessment and mitigation is not an option. It is a must, uh, says Dele. And Emmanuel says your business plan is a living document and you need to be intentional about constantly evaluating to see the changes in your working, uh, your work environment, the industry you're creating behavioral patterns and make a deliberate effort to drive this, uh, to uh, create strategies ahead of the trends to stay afloat as a business. Always have a plan and a checklist. As Daily Riley said, it's also important to always factor in insurance to safeguard your business. These are some of the gems that are dropping and I think you guys have really done an amazing job sharing a lot of these insights and I'm sure all of us here are very appreciative. I'm going to go quickly into the chat room and see what is going on there and share some of the gems that are being dropped. So Chris, uh, who is the CEO of Jumbo, says one of the biggest challenges for startups is that the probability of success is below 80%. What is the best way to pitch to investors to gain funding, especially in these tough times? I believe this question was answered, but uh, any of you can pick that up if you want to reiterate. I think um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. I think it's <clears throat> it's a very it's a very real problem. Um, even for us, you know, when when startups come to our decks. Um, the initial position, it's, it's quite different from when it's an ongoing business, right? Because everybody asks, okay, a startup, 
the risk is very high. Like you already said, probability of success is very low. So anytime you are faced with, um, anytime you're faced with where, uh, where people initially position you or put you in a particular category because of who you are or because of the kind of business that you're coming, you are coming in with, you have to always, how to counter that is to, to clearly state or clearly explain or manage what risks that you think they are thinking about for you. Now you're a startup. There are things like, how are you going to even set this business up? There are businesses that um, the acquisition of land, you know, the setup of the factory, things like that took so much time than they expected. I, I was involved in one project, you know, setting up a factory, you know, initially when we planned everything with information from all sort of technical experts, we planned, we thought this will happen in nine, nine months. It happened in 16 months. From nine to 16 months, that's a big impact on the time that we think you were going to start running, you know, your, your operations. That is a big impact on the investor because you know, the investor is in, is in there for a particular point in time, period. And the more you reduce the time that he can start making money, the worse it is for him. So you should be able to lay out clearly that, guys, I have everything, you know, you know sorted out or lined up when it comes to getting this done. This is, these are examples of people who have set this up. They've set it up within this period. I'm getting these experts in. They are setting it up within this period. And we're going to up and running within this period. This is the margin of safety I've put in there in terms of how much money we need to set it up, in terms of how much time we need to set it up. And giving very solid examples about, about some of these things. I, I had to even go online and read about this um, project. I was just worried. I, I was just thinking that all projects kind of go beyond the time they are planned for. And sometimes a lot of them go above budget. So I was just checking if there's research like that. And it was interesting how someone's research shows that even when people think they've budgeted for the margin of risk, they usually still go beyond, I mean, a margin of safety. They usually also go beyond that margin of safety. So it's, it's a normal thing. So everybody, even if you come to me and you have a project and you have an amount, they, the initial thought I have in mind is that this guy is going to exceed this amount and they are going to do this in more time than they are thinking. So you, you have to come up with very solid examples or very solid reasons why you think this is not going to be the case. Then in terms of the other risk, like the market risk, how, how have you, you know, managed this market risk in the business proposal you're bringing? Um, some people will tell you that, oh, there's market for my product. That, that is not enough. Can you get some off-takers? Can you get some you know, you know, data to prove that there is a particular market for your, for, your, for your, what do you call it, your business or the needs that you're trying to you know, uh, fill? Because you have, a, you have, usually the startup businesses have like very, very ambitious forecast that you're making like $2 million the year after they, they set up. And you ask yourself if it's, if it's that easy, right? So you, you, need to, you need to, if I ask you, how are you going to make that $2 million? You shouldn't be ask, answering the question from a perspective of production. And that is where we meet a lot of founders. They'll be like, yeah, we'll produce this number of products in the year and then we'll be able to sell it. And each product is going to cost this much, sell this much. So if you look at the market, they sell that this much. We'll price a little bit lower. Or we are pricing a little bit at the market and we'll be able to sell and then we'll make the $2 million. It, it's, it isn't that easy, right? I mean, if it was, we're all making $2 million right now. So you have to come from the perspective of the market. How are you, how are you going to sell those $2 million products? Who is waiting to buy those $2 million products? Um, so that is the market risk part that you need to, you know, you know, figure out. And then we have the last, the last 
important part for me is the production, right? The production, your raw materials. You, you probably are talking about all these and you've not really checked what goes into the raw materials. Are they available? Um, in terms of the, the, the production that you're trying to do, like you say, you'll be, you'll be planting um, or you'll be producing, let's say, 500,000 or 5 metric tons or 10 metric tons of mangoes. Or, that's for an agribusiness. Um, the land you are planting it on, the yields that you are expecting, the you know, fertilizer and all the things that you're going to use for these things, have you figured it out clearly or just on top of mind? I've met an entrepreneur who told me that, you know what, all these things you're saying, they are in the head, they are right here. I'm like, that, that, is, that is how you're not going to get money because things in your head we can't evaluate and give you money, right? So you should have laid out this, especially production, marketing, and the setup risk. Those are the three key risks that everybody cares about when they see a startup. And if you're able to clearly, clearly spell out to the investor how you're going to manage the risk that comes across this change, this three areas, you might, you might get in some way. But always note that since it's a startup, it's going to be a difficult push for you, especially in COVID-19. You might need to do some bit more work than a typical person who has a business already running. But then with some good work, you definitely will make it through. Over at it. Uh, first, I just want to add something. You know, Emmanuel mentioned um, an entrepreneur who said it's in his head. Look, um, if you think um, you're not the right person to communicate, um, you know, find someone within the team who, who will be able to articulate what you're thinking, um, right? Um, you know, sometimes it's not the CEO, it's the CEO who can um, clearly communicate um, where the business is going. You know, it's not that, you know, most of the times it's not that you don't know, you don't understand. It's just maybe articulating and communicating that too as well. And another thing I also want to add is that you need to understand your markets inside out, your industry, you need to know it's inside out. You know, where the risks are, where the opportunities are, you know, the next five years, where you think this is going to know that inside out. Powerful gems, guys. Like you guys are just blowing my mind. Um, so you can check on Twitter at Growth with TT, follow us and see some of the gems and quotes that I have shared from the conversation that is currently ongoing. Uh, you can also <clears throat> uh share them and get your friends to follow and uh, stay updated as well. So next in the chat room from Isaac says, well, I believe unless there's going to be more catastrophic pandemics that will restrict human interactions, Zoom investors can only enjoy the short-term benefits. My humble thoughts. Uh, Phyllis says, powerful, Emmanuel. I agree. Many are still investing. Um, James, okay, James was uh, piggybacking on daily. Rethink, reflect, and reset. Spot on daily. Uh, Chris also says, Definitely, Emmanuel, you don't want to go to the investor with an outdated or an error-prone document. It's a deal breaker. It's, he's highlighting on the fact that um, you need to make sure your documents are updated. Don't send documents that you prepared before COVID-19 to an investor seeking financing. What have you done to show your mitigation for all the things that you are facing uh, or how you intend to mitigate the challenges your business is facing. Eto, Ado, Eto Nam Ado says, businesses need to consider enterprise-wide business continuity plans 
which will help them identify critical business processes, uh, which can ensure which they can ensure run in the face of the pandemic and other disasters. Um, Chris says, one of the questions I always ask my co-founders on almost a weekly basis is, can you run this deal without me? And don't just listen to responses. You need to know it is a workable solution. Also, intentional delegation is a must. Thanks, Emmanuel. Insurance is a must, must. Um, Ethel Nam Adu says, not just succession plans for individuals. It's a succession plan for the entire organization. Um, okay, Phyllis says, Oludele and Emmanuel, great job. I have taken a lot of notes and running. Okay, she's and running with everything back to my drawing board. Thank you all very much. Um, I would love to, if there are any questions, we have a few more minutes, four more minutes open to ask questions. You can go ahead and ask your questions now. You can drop them in the chat room or raise your hand and I would uh, give you the floor to speak. All right, Chris, please go ahead. Thank you so much, Foster. I just want to say thank you so, so much for organizing this. Uh, it's been a lot of learning for me and I really appreciate this and just want to uh, encourage you to do more of this because a lot of people are learning from this, even though you may not know immediately. So thank you very much. Mm. Thank you very much for the kind words. I look forward to seeing you in subsequent sessions. Um, okay, I see other comments. Um, Isaac Adams says, businesses can never thrive without networking. I would have loved the speakers to have thrown more light on that. Um, Isaac, we have other sessions which would be talking about networking. Phil is here. Phil is going here, here. Let me just take the advantage to highlight what you do. So Phil is a is the founder of Connect. Connect World is a platform where they help you understand the power of networking, teach you the principles of networking, and invite as many resource persons to share on how to stay connected. Um, you can reach out to her privately, and I'm sure she'll be happy to give you some insights. But definitely watch out for a session on networking coming soon. Uh, Sazi says, great session. I have gained so much knowledge. Thank you. For Kifilis, I shared the website for Connect, connect.world. You can check out more information about that. Any questions? Any questions? Isaac Aqua is a business development professional as well. He's worked on a number of successful projects, supported businesses continuously. If you have any uh, input to make on the conversation we've had, you can unmute your mic and share. I see George Adumako here as well. Just thank you, Foster. This has been great. Um, looking forward to just uh, absorbing the gems and, and uh, implementing them. Uh, and looking forward to the next sessions. Thank you so much, Foster. Fantastic. And, and the speakers. Fantastic. 
Okay, so in the absence of any questions, so we were planning to close at exactly 5.30. We have one more minute to wrap up. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate your time. Um, so just to reiterate, Growth with TT is, is a platform that is created with the intention to help inspire and facilitate innovation for learning by example. Uh, also to actively contribute to a growing generation of competent and passionate young leaders today for the future. And lastly, uh, a forum for knowledge and opportunity sharing. I urge you all to stay tuned. Uh, you can follow us on all our social media pages at Growth with TT uh, to stay updated on all our upcoming initiatives. Next week, Saturday, we'll be having another session and we'll be talking about customer segmentation. We have a guest from M Pharma, who is a product manager and the CEO of uh, Roots Digital Developers of SUV, which is a third-party logistics company. And they'll be talking about how they develop their products considering all the customer variations and the customer needs and how they prioritize them in the process of de uh, developing and shipping to market to meet the needs of their customers. I urge you all to make it a point to sign up for that session as well. You can stay uh, updated on receiving the link from our social media pages. We'll probably send that across to your emails as well since we have your emails from the registration. Um, stay safe and have a lovely weekend. Thank you all. And thank see you, Titi. Thank you. Thank you, Foster. Oh, thank you very much, our lovely speakers, for your time as well. We really appreciate everything that you've shared and the gems. Please follow the, the gems on Twitter and retweet, reshare for other people to learn as well. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you, Foster. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Phyllis.